And uh, as I put these passages together, I hope you'll understand why they fit together. And um, it's talking about Jesus, the king over man, over humans, uh, who has authority over human beings. Uh, And what we're seeing here is God's calling on people to be disciples. Uh, And uh, you see his kingship in that he says to people, follow me, and they do. Yep, I can imagine walking down the street of St George and walking past people in shops and saying, follow me, and the reaction I'd get. Yeah, not much legwork. Okay, as we look today, we're looking... uh, I'm going to ask three questions at the end, and you can see them along the way. But the first question is, what kind of people does God or Jesus call to be disciples? The second one is, what does he call them to be and to do? And the third is about the clash of the kingdoms. How does that work out in our life? Now, the clash of the kingdoms means the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness and the battle that goes on when we live as his people. So I'm starting in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, and then which 14 and 15 is kind of the, the sum up of all that Jesus is going to say right through his teaching, so you've got to get that. So we'll probably use that each week in a way. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, that's a Greek word for gospel or good news, of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. When he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Okay, that's our first passage. Jesus, the sum up, when Mark says Jesus went out preaching, when uh, he went out proclaiming the good news, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. He doesn't say that over and over through. What he's saying is that was the, that was the outline of everything that Jesus taught from then on. Okay, so the fact that he doesn't say that every time he speaks doesn't mean he wasn't saying it. What, what Mark's saying is that's the heart of what he had to say. The kingdom of God's come near, so the king's near, and Jesus is the king. Repent and believe the gospel or the good news. Uh, we sang a song a minute ago uh, which said in it, I'm a child of God, yes I am. Uh, if the, who the sun sets free is free indeed. It's quite a good song. Um, but one of the things with about it is, do you know, um, I guess I could say I'm a nuclear physicist. Yes, I am. Yeah? That's not true. But if I really, really, really say it a lot and believe it, it's still not true. You see, what, uh, when the kingdom comes near... What, what we, that, that statement, I'm a child of God, yes I am, it can either be a statement of truth or it can be a pacifier. A pacifier is when you try and say something over and over again to make it believe to kind of ease your conscience when you've got a bit of burning. 
Um, a child of God is someone who repents and believes. And that is an awesome confrontation in a person's life because people don't want to repent. What we would much rather do is come along to a nice group of people and say, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Do you get what I'm saying? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And those are, they are those who repent and believe the good news. And that means giving their whole life to this Jesus. It's not just a happy group. I hope that makes sense. If it doesn't, have a chat with Fraser and Alex after the service. Okay. They will explain it to you. Um, now, Jesus says now is the time, the kairos time, which means not the chronos time, it's the time on your watch. The kairos time is God's appointed time. The kingdom is near. God's powerful reign has hit the ground now. It is breaking into the world. And if his kingdom is breaking in, then the enemy's reign is being overthrown. So repent, which means turn from the other kingdom to Jesus, the king, and leave behind the old stuff. Right? That stuff you put your life and your heart into is not the truth. Turn to Jesus. Repent and believe. Trust. Put your faith in and, and to put your faith in Jesus, we would say, is the most simplest message in the whole Bible and it's the hardest thing for you to do. It'll take your whole life to do, to put your faith in Jesus, to turn to him and trust in him. It's a, it's a, it's a massive thing. The enemies of God are being overthrown by this kingdom, uh, overthrown by the kingdom of God over this kingdom of darkness when we repent and believe. And Jesus comes across two sets of brothers and he says, come follow me. And they did in the Greek. This might be, sound obvious, but this is a command. Jesus says, follow me as a command. He doesn't say it as a question. If it's okay with you. If you've got the time, fellas, you could follow me. He says, follow me. And they do. So somehow the authority of Christ, they may have heard him before. He's been teaching for a little while. But the authority of Christ grabs them and they say, this is a man that we should follow. Okay. And he says to them, come and I will make you fishes of men or fish for people. We've, we've heard about that for years, haven't we? And, and it's, a, it's a nice statement. We, we love going with Les Joy. We love going fishing when we go back. And it's, a, it's a nice little exercise. Do you know what fishing is? It's hunting in the sea. That's what it is. It's not a sweet little exercise for the fish, right? It is hunting. It's a serious thing. Uh, we might starve if we don't get our whiting. But you see, what, what he's saying is you are proclaiming Christ. He's going to go on, we'll see this. You are proclaiming Christ. That's the gospel. It's kind of the bait, you could say that. Okay? But the event of fishing is a life or death uh, happening. That's what's going on here. Now, in Jeremiah 16, 16, sorry, the fishing analogy is used right throughout the Old Testament, probably in about six or seven different places in the prophets. Okay? But it's not talked about in a life and a life happy with going fishing. It's talking about judgment. The judgment of God. Jeremiah 16, 16 says, But now I will send you, oh, sorry, now I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord. And they will catch them. 
And after that, I will send for many hunters and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and from the crevices of the rocks. It's a hunting event, hunting with the gospel. Jesus tells a parable later on about fishing. He says the fisherman drops a net over in the, you know that one? And he pulls up all the fish. And then what happens? The angels go through and they throw out the good ones and they, they throw out the bad ones and they keep the good ones. It's a, it's a judgment event. Now, the word judgment in the Bible, the Greek word, is crisis. You've heard of that word. And a crisis point or a judgment point is when you come to a fork in the road and you're going one way or the other. Okay? And uh, it is a point... Uh, the, what I'm saying is the, the fishing thing is bring people to that point of crisis, to that point where they are faced with a fork in the road. And they're either going to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved, or they will reject the gospel and they will be judged as guilty eternally. You see, the proclamation of the gospel, the fishing event, demands a response. For a start, everyone's sitting in the middle, but when the gospel is preached, there is a, there is a divide. There has to be one. There's no fence sitting anymore. Okay, the next passage we're going to read is from Mark 2, verse 14 to 17. As Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, this is Matthew. We find out later that's who he is. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Okay. Matthew is a tax collector. Now the previous verse, just, for, just so you know, is kind of Matthew's one verse, whole sum up of, of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was teaching on the mountain and then he walked past Matthew or Levi. Okay, so we can assume that Matthew may have heard what Jesus just preached in the way it's written. It seems to say that. Okay, and he follows Jesus too. Now, he was a tax collector. As as often said in Christian circles, tax collectors were hated. They, They were conspirers with the Romans. They were... They were people who worked with Herod. They were social outcasts. And in the Bible, the the statement, sinners and tax collectors, nearly always goes together. Losers plus losers. Yep. People who don't deserve Jesus and other people who don't deserve Jesus. That's kind of how they are. They were outcasts. They had no social standing. Now, this is the thing. Somehow, through Christendom and the church, the church became a place... Right up, and it always seems to become that where it, it, it becomes more about the ruling class than it does about the sinners and the tax collectors. It just happens, okay? And the pr- problem with that is, is if the if the church becomes simply that upper class, that ruling class, that whatever, 
you have to dumb the gospel down at some point and accept everybody. It's just how it goes because you're bringing an idolatry in which is the ruling class idolatry. And every culture has that. I hope that makes sense. But Jesus had table fellowship with outcasts, who he calls the sick. Okay? And he turns up at a large party. It says there were lots of tax collectors there. There were lots of sinners, the disciples, and there were many others. So we're not talking about a dinner with five people around a little table. We're talking about a feast. That's what was going on here. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they, were, they kind of passed by and they were judging through the window or somehow because one thing for sure about the Pharisees, they would not have meal fellowship with sinners. That was, that's part of their big rule. You don't meet with sinners, right? Because you become unclean when you do. Okay? And so these uh, Pharisees and tax collectors, uh, sorry, Pharisees and teachers of the law, they actually thought that they were righteous by their obedience. And that is a real problem because if you think your obedience makes you righteous, you are incapable of repentance. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit has to do a big work on you to take you to the point where you realise that you are not righteous by your obedience, then you can repent. And without that work of the Spirit, you will not. Does that make sense? But the sinners are the lowly ones who in the Bible seem to be those who go, yes, I'm a sinner. And the admission of being sinful is the first and greatest step towards repentance. Obviously, isn't it? Until you say, I'm a sinner, you'll never repent because you don't need to. So the Pharisees thought they could obey the laws and make themselves acceptable to God. Now, when uh, what they were trying to do in society was institute the law of God over that society and make it obedient to God. They were trying to moralise society. So let's just say we pick a law that Australians are very bad at um, I don't know, euthanasia. If we get rid of euthanasia, our country's going to be a little bit more godly. And then, and then the next law. And I was really interested in the, in, the pre, in the last election, there was a National Party candidate who said, I'm a Christian and I believe that as a Christian in government, our job is to bring the, the kingdom of God to bear on Parliament. Yay. Moralise Australia. Just like the Pharisees. Sorry, no offence to that person. But slowly instituting the kingdom of God does not bring the change which is what Jesus brings because we can't do it. The, the, the Pharisaic way is not the way. God has a provision where he would forgive sins and deal with our sins himself through Jesus Christ, not by us making ourselves holy. Because if you spend your whole time, whole life making yourself holy, well, for a start, you won't even change this much of your heart, where it all comes from. You're just going to dumb down the outward action and then when you fail, you'll just make sure you never sin in front of other people. That's called a hypocrite. Okay, but God had a provision of the forgiveness of sins. I want to go in this a bit deeper because 
What we can do is, as Christians, we can do things that are pacifiers, which make us feel a little bit better about ourselves. We, they are good things done in a wrong way. And I'm going to give you... I, I do my daily readings. Do you know I do my daily readings? You should know, because you need to know how good a person I am. I do my daily readings. No. When you do your daily readings, not to hear the word, but to feel good about yourself. Now, it's good to do daily readings out of a heart that's been changed. You might attend church because attending church makes you feel a bit better about yourself because that's what you should do. Yeah? Makes God happy with you, right? Now, it's a good thing to get together with the body of believers. But, you see, it's good to do it from a heart that's been changed, that wants to serve one another and be with one another and build each other up. You see, what we can do is try and ease our consciences by religious acts. Uh, You can give your money or your time or your love to the needy because it feels good to do that. Not from a heart that's been changed, but from a heart that's trying to pacify itself because of the pain that it feels within. That's a thing that we will often do. So better before you do any of that is get on your knees in your closet before God. Repent and believe. doesn't have to be in the closet. Sorry, that's, you get what I'm saying. That's just the words of the Bible. Okay. So we are talking here not about Pharisees who are trying to cleanse their consciences by doing little good acts and looking down on others and feeling they'll catch sin. We're talking about Jesus who meets with people who are, who are actual sinners. They are really rotten. They're not nice people. But he meets them with the forgiveness of sins. And if you were to read uh, the previous passage from this, Jesus he says to a, excuse me, a young bloke lowered through the roof, your sins are forgiven. And he never done anything to deserve it. Yep, except he had faith. Believed. Repent and believe. Okay, so we are talking about a purity that comes from Jesus and not from our own actions. Now, you've got to see, now just go back to this story here. This is a radical thing. This is the promised Messiah, the king. You've got 2,000 years of scripture saying he's coming. Here he comes. He, he's born. He starts his ministry. And what does he do? This is pretty early on. He's going out to tea with a mob of sinners. That is radical, isn't it? What do you expect the king to be doing when he arrives? Whatever it is, it's not that. You could have lots of good ideas. The king arrives and he goes sitting and eating with a mob of sinners. Right. And when he heard what the Pharisees said, he said this, it's not the healthy need a doctor but the sick. uh, Sorry, Matthew's same quote. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Okay, I, desire, I don't want to sacrifice. I don't want you to go spend your whole life trying to give everything up for me. Right? My, my gospel is about mercy. It's not, when it says, when Jesus says, I haven't come 
for the righteous but for the sinners. He's not really saying I haven't come for the right. What he's saying is I haven't come for those who think they're righteous because they will not accept the gospel. Okay, understand that. So he gives this call and that's probably the beginning of some of the ugliness with the Pharisees. It's the beginning of the confrontation. It's the beginning of those who are... You, you know those people who fast. Do you know how you know the people who fast? Because they tell you they fast. Yep. You know those people who pray a lot, who tell you they pray a lot? Right? They have to tell you because part of the easing of the conscience is not just doing the action. Part of the easing of the conscience is making sure other people are impressed by you as well. Can you see how much I fast? Do you know how much I pray? Have a look at me. It doesn't work, of course, but it's easing of the conscience. Okay, because we feel like our righteousness has increased. But here is something that is beautiful. I'll say it again. Jesus is spending time speaking the truth to sinners, rip-off merchants, prostitutes and thieves. That's who he's meeting with. And he's speaking a word of mercy or forgiveness that comes as a gift. He's not saying, okay, people, start sacrificing. Start giving up stuff. He's saying, repent, not repent, start working on your sins. He's saying, repent, turn to me. Can you see the difference? Because when you turn to Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will start that sanctifying work, not your work. As soon as you try and do it, you'll either muck it up or you'll get all proud when you get it right. Okay. Holiness is a gift. Okay. Understand this then. I'm saying lots of understand today. Salvation by grace is a gift. But the Christian life, the holiness that comes in the Christian life is a gift. Did you hear that? Salvation is a gift because it's not salvation as a gift. Now get working and keep it because we'd all lose it. It's gift followed by gift. Grace upon grace. We naturally think that grace should be for the healthy, not the sick, the ones who deserve. Okay? So when you want to give something to somebody, you go, well, they really deserve it. Look what they've done. They don't deserve it. Right. Who are we going to give grace to? The people who deserve it. Yep. Not Jesus. Okay. Our third passage. It, some, it finishes off and then we, uh, the, the, the disciple. Just put it there. So this is um, Mark 3 verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. They, these are the twelve he appointed. Simon, whom he gave the name Peter. James, son of Zebedee, his brother John, to whom he gave the name Beorgnes, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. If you read Luke's Gospel, it says that Jesus prayed all night before he did this. Twelve disciples, significant number, the twelve tribes of Israel. They were the ones who were to be with him. 
because he was going to teach them to fish, basically. He was going to send them out to preach and he gave them authority over demons. So when they preached, the devil ran away in defeat. Okay. That is part of the kingdom action. Now we're going to start tying some things together, hopefully. Right. Colossians 1.13 says, For he, that's Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness or the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We have gone from one kingdom to a totally different kingdom in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, the driving back of the powers of darkness, the driving back of demons, we think of that, and, and it's a part of it, sure, when, when Jesus would come to someone and say, Joe, I, I cast a demon out of you. And that's part of it. But the greater work of the casting out of the kingdom of darkness happens through the proclamation of the gospel. Can you see that? When Jesus comes in, the Holy Spirit brings the truth. When people repent and believe, the devil is driven back. An awesome work. That's what he said. They would preach the gospel and have authority over demons. Those two go together. You see... Satan is driven back through the proclamation of the gospel. Right. He appointed 12. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of them. Simon, he gave the name Peter. Now, Simon, we love to uh, pay out Peter, don't we? Everybody loves Peter. Why? Because he's flaky. Is that the word? He's double-minded. He says silly stuff. Everyone loves him. And you think, I like to look down on other people's faults. And Peter's got lots Peter is cool. Jesus called Peter the rock. So which was he? Was he flaky or was he a rock? He was a rock. Because that's what Jesus called him. Yeah? Big point that. Okay? We love to look down on people when we're flaky. Yeah. Okay, I'll come back to that in a minute. We are double-minded at times like that, though. We are weak and we are cowardly. But as Christ sees us in the solidness of salvation in the Spirit, we are firm, unshakable in him. Do you get that? And Peter was. James and John were the sons of Zebedee, and they are called Beognes, which means sons of thunder, which generally means they had an angry temperament. They were fiery people. Anybody put up your hands if you're a fiery person? Come on. Who gets angry suddenly here? Right. Five honest people, and that's. Okay. One time, I love this story in Luke 9. This tells you what they're like, right? Jesus sent messages on ahead. This is in Luke 9 52. And when he went into a Samaritan village, he said, get, you know, get things ready for him. But the people would not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. So the people didn't welcome him. All right. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? A little bit angry, eh? Like, they wouldn't accept you and feed you. Right, let's call down fire from heaven. Now, they were probably angry on the day. You get that. Okay, what other sort of people? You've got Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, who, just so you know, his name is Nathaniel, a friend of Philip. You've got Matthew, the tax collector, Thomas, the one who had trust issues, apparently. Uh, James and Thaddeus. 
You've got Simon the Zealot. You've got to love a zealot. You know what a zealot is? That's someone who wants to, with a sword, bring in the kingdom of Israel. Like, don't worry about preaching. We're going to be, what do you call them now? Uh, f- fanatics? No. Uh, fundamentalists? Yeah. Uh, worse than that. Suicide bombers. Yep. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, and Jesus knew from the beginning he would. Okay. Can you imagine? You've got this dozen people walking together. There's going to be a good conversation here, isn't there? Yeah? Welcome to the church. Yeah. It's no different today. If it is, there's a problem. When you get a monoculture, when you get a, a monosocial, when you get anything, a mono anything church, you've got a problem. Because that's not the church that God calls, is it? Um, we live in a, in a cancel culture. You know what cancel culture is? Have you ever been cancelled? It's a very interesting thing when you get cancelled. But cancel culture says those people don't fit with us. These people fit with us. We don't need to talk to them. Okay. Uh, and as I said the other night at men's group, the body is a church. If you read 1 Corinthians 12, you see the body in action here. You see different people with different gifts and different temperaments and different everything, right? Okay. Then you look at the disciples. They were like that, right? Then you look at the church. Expect it. Right, that's in a Bible passage. Now we're going to quickly go through my three questions. What kind of people does God or Jesus call to be disciples? Fishermen. Yeah. Yeah, workers. Okay. We got it. Sinners and tax collectors, we get that. People who know they're sick, they don't try and hide it. Flaky people. Indecisive people who will be rocks, zealots, angry people, those who will betray him. Uh, yeah, those who betray him, they're in the mix too. <laughs> yeah, wow. Who are the church? They are quite simply this the ones he calls together. That's the church. The ones he calls together. And even that passage which where two or three have been gathered in together in my name, the Greek says, having been gathered together by him. It's not just because you get together. That, that just getting together doesn't make it. It's him when he gathers us. Okay, what does he call us to do? Number one, repent and believe. Yep. Today is the day to turn to God, to turn to Jesus from the kingdom of darkness. If you've never believed, then turn to him and trust him. His kingdom is eternal and his reign is the only reign worth submitting to, ever. And if you have trusted in Jesus, then the best thing to do with your life is to repent and believe and go on doing it. Because I don't know about you, it might just be me. When I wake up in the morning, my head is full of... can't say the word. It's full of rubbish. It's full of stupid thoughts that are gone on the night. And I've almost got to turn from myself when I wake up. But however, once I get out of bed, oh yeah, I've got to do it again. Right? Because you see, the Christian life is actually a battle of turning to Jesus. Okay. There, we are constantly under the, uh, the world and the devil bringing in thoughts, distractions, Temporary things, idols to steal our attention, things that we put and love in front of Jesus, things that we love, 
things that we worship. And this is not just what's happening in us. The powers of darkness are seeking to steal us away from God. Do you know that? Might sound, I, I don't think I'm overemphasizing this, okay? This is a big thing. So every day, turn from the kingdom of darkness to Jesus. Number two, this is a little tie up, I'll get a bit more in a minute. Be fishers of men. Proclaim the truth of Jesus. Take people to the crisis point, to the fork in the road. It's, it's actually easier to tell them about good behaviour than it is to bring it to Jesus. That's the hard part, isn't it? I, I, I'd like to tell you how you can live life a bit better. Oh, come, come to church so you'll be satisfied. Maybe you'll have peace. Uh, I think what it's talking about here is not peace but a holy sword. Can you see that? Bring people. And know this, right? This is People will either turn to Jesus or they'll get angry with God and the messenger. Okay? But the gospel brings a reaction. So don't be afraid. Be bold to speak. You see, the thing that makes us afraid is we know that it's going to bring that reaction, don't we? That's why we don't speak. Yeah? Because we don't want it to be the negative side. If we could say, if I could say, I'm going to speak to Kayleen and she's going to accept it, then I'd always speak, wouldn't I? Mm. But if I'm going to speak to Kayleen and I don't know which way she's going to go, I might just say something nice. Do you you get what I'm saying? The negative reaction holds us back from proclamation. But without the crisis point, you never get that division and you never get the salvation. Okay. Jesus is saying, be fisher to men. That's what he's calling his church to. We're proclaiming Jesus to a proud, self-righteous, sinful world and there's an angry devil behind who is always stirring up problems. Uh, You become conscious in in gospel preaching of a battle with the evil one. You just do. And it hurts. You can accept it, but one of the things that kills me is, is, is when you start to see your own children come into that battle and you think, I don't want that for them. Right? There's a way to stop, of course. Just stop talking about Jesus and everything's going to be nice. It hurts to see other people hurt by the gospel. It's the right thing to do. It's a, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. We are proclaiming the king to everybody. That's what it is. That's what we're called to. And he sends his spirit to do the work. So understand this. Whether they turn or not turn, that is not your work. We're the heralds who proclaim the message. It's not our job to change it. We don't have to force them. We don't have to manipulate them. We don't have to bring them to anything. But we do tell them about Jesus. Okay. The fourth part. Drive back Satan. Is that what you've got to do? Well, it's kind of what will happen. You see, the reason the Son of God appeared was to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. And in, uh, in Romans 13, uh, 16, what do we hear about? Paul says, The church will soon crush Satan under its feet. Remember that? Isn't it Jesus who crushed the church? Yes, he did. And then he called us into his work. And what do we do? 
We crush Satan under his feet, under our feet. You can go and read that verse. It's, it's interesting because you see what Jesus does is he calls us in. The great fisherman calls us into his fishing work in driving back the evil one. The powerful kingdom of God in action. Okay, what are we to do also? Fellowship with diverse people. Please don't hang out with people just who think like you. I know it's comfortable. But see that God calls you to other people. I don't think there's any New Testament book where, where either Paul or John or James or someone, Peter, doesn't deal with this issue of favouritism. You know what that is? When you like those ones and not those ones. Yeah? Why does he deal with that? Because that's what we're, we naturally do. We naturally, we naturally don't party with sinners. We actually hunger after the shiny things. Yeah, yeah, the popular, the successful, those the world loves. That's just naturally the inclination of the work of the devil. Okay, Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 5 says, Now don't eat with those who claim to be Christians but are doing all these horrible sins. But he says, but I'm not saying don't, don't uh, eat with non-Christians. Oh, no, no, not saying that at all. Who's the more dangerous ones? Those on the edge of religion. But to the sinners, he says, now, if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever's put before you without raising questions of conscience. In other words, get together with non-Christians without having an issue of your conscience. You don't need to. You're not going to get dirty by hanging around non-Christians. Okay? Right. In all of this, I want you to, I think this is really important to see. There is a clash of the kingdoms. This is point three. There is a powerful clash of a, the, the kingdom of darkness is a powerful kingdom. It is more powerful than any of us. Jesus is more powerful because he is the king. Expect it. When we call others to repent and believe, there is a clash of the kingdom. It's going on. There is an endless distractions. There's endless things happening in people's minds and hearts. Just understand, there's a clash of the kingdom. Devil's not happy with that. When you have a small conversation with someone over the back fence, there is a clash of the kingdoms when you start talking about Jesus. It's there, right? It's going on. When you preach the gospel, there is a clash of the kingdoms. When you have meal fellowship, deep fellowship with sinners, there is a clash of the kingdoms. There is a battle. You need to expect that. And when flaky people, which is all of us, live like rocks, there's a clash of the kingdoms going on. We are being upheld by the Spirit of God. I hope all this makes sense. When people with anger management issues tell a dying world about eternal life, there's a clash of the kingdoms. What I'm saying is the Christian life, the, gospel, the, the life of proclamation, the life of the kingdom, it's not easy. It's right. We're called into it. Every one of us is. Totally different ways. Totally different relationships. Because you all know people. You are all, you're all in relationships that none of, none of us are. Aren't you? Every one of you. Right? We're all called to be fishers of men in the areas that God's put us. 
because uh, we know he put us all here in the right place. Okay, I'm going to stop talking and pray. Father, we want to thank you for the honour and privilege it is to be able to proclaim the name of Jesus to other people. We want to thank you also that as we do that, that we know that your Spirit's at work doing what we can't do. And Father, I pray that you would make us bold. I pray that you would make us rocks, even though we're constantly aware of our indecisiveness. I pray that you would make us strong because we trust in you. And Father, I pray that when the world crowds in on us and brings us things that seek to take our attention and our love and our worship, that we, in your strength, would repent. And we thank you that your spirit brings to us repentance as a gift. And we thank you that your spirit brings to us faith as a gift. And we pray that you would cause us to be men and women who trust in Jesus with everything we have. And Father, I pray also that as a church that we would be those that encourage one another in the battle. When we are weary, when we are hurt, I pray that we'll be those who lift each other up. I pray that we would carry one another, that we would encourage one another also with your words of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.